0: We're going to start a new series next week that I'll be telling you more about later on. But today, I wanted to preach a special New Year's message. I mean, this is a week in our lives where we're kind of hitting the reset button, and we're thinking about the opportunities that lie in store for us in the new year. And so it's it's a time to sort of think about our, our focus, um, and so... This is a great text for doing that. Let's talk about getting the right focus for a new year. And we see that in in Philippians chapter 3. And so let's look at what the Apostle Paul says here. We're going to begin with verse 10 and actually read through verse 14. So Philippians 3 and beginning with verse 10. Paul says this, and this is really kind of a... It's sort of a personal mission statement for Paul. It's, he's, he's talking about what his, his focus is in life. And he says it's this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as we think about the opportunity that awaits us in 2016, we pray that you would orient our focus. That you would use your word to to help us to, to see what our eyes should be fixed on as we enter this new year. We pray that your spirit would open up this text and help us to understand it and apply it today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was watching an, an, a clip of an interview with the chief designer at Apple. It's a guy named Johnny Ive. Johnny Ive. Impacts your life, whether you know it or not. He's the guy that actually designs uh, the iPhone and iPad or you know any devices from Apple that you use. Johnny Ives had a big hand in it. And the interviewer was asking him what he had learned from the late Steve Jobs, the former CEO for Apple. And Johnny Ives said this. He said, Steve was the most remarkably focused person I have ever met. You can achieve so much when you, when you truly focus. He would frequently ask, how many things have you said no to? I would name off the things that I'd said no to, but he knew I wasn't vaguely interested in doing those things anyway, so there was no real sacrifice. True focus involves sacrifice. Focus is when you say no to things you want to do with every bone in your body, but you say no to it because you are focusing on something else. That's how stuff like the iPhone gets designed. That's how a company like Apple gets built. But if focus is essential in the corporate realm, how much more important is focused in the spiritual realm where the stakes are infinitely higher. In verses 10 and 11, Paul is giving us his focus in life. I mean, this is what he is locked into. And he says, I want to know Christ. And then he tells us how he wants to know Christ. He says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now there's lots to unpack here in verses 10 and 11. And we need to ask some questions. We need to kind of probe this text and ask some questions. And the first one is this. What does it mean to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? Christianity Today did a survey of, actually Lifeway, and it was published in Christianity Today, did a survey of the American people over the past month or so, and about 50% said, I want to improve my relationship with God in the coming year. I want to know God better. But how many people mean what Paul means when he says, I want to know Christ better? What does he say here? He says, first of all, I want to I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And what's that all about? Well, sometimes it's helpful in, in when you're reading one of Paul's letters, if he says something that's sort of similar in another letter, it can kind of flesh out and help you to understand uh, better what he what he means by it. So in Ephesians, which is written about the same time as Philippians. Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus and, he, and he's pr- he prays that God would open the eyes of their hearts to understand this. And we see it in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. He, he prays that God would open the eyes of their hearts to understand what is the immeasurable greatness of His power Toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. And so, Paul is praying there that God would open our eyes to see something. That He would open our eyes to see that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. In the power and presence of The Holy Spirit. Sometimes we do like as Christians not really aware of the power that we have been given. Uh, In Disney's film, The Rookie, came out some years ago. Uh, Dennis Quaid plays the role of Jimmy Morris. It's based on a true story. Jimmy Morris was a guy who was a high school baseball coach and a high school teacher. And uh, his, the guys on his, his team would always tell him, he said, Coach, you've got a really good arm. I mean, you throw hard. But he just kind of blew it off. I mean, his, his dreams of playing baseball professionally had ended years ago, and he'd been through some injuries and so forth, and he thought he was too old at that point to even think about it. Um, <clears throat> but one night, he's, he's driving down a lonely country road in his pickup truck, and he sees one of these... Uh, digital signs that tells you how fast you're going. And so nobody else on the road, so he pulls his pickup over, and uh, he, he grabs a baseball, and just kind of you know, tosses it, not hard, and the sign pops up 46. He's thrown at 46 miles an hour, so he knows it works. So he kind of limbers up a little bit, and, and uh, he, the next time, he, he winds up and he throws a fastball, and the sign pops up 76. Well, yeah, 76 mile per hour, fastball, not going to cut it in the major league. So he just kind of smiles and heads back to his truck. But when he turns his back, you see this digital sign kind of sputter. And the 7 turns into a 9. He's throwing the ball 96 miles an hour. But he doesn't know that yet. You see, as Christians, so often we are unaware of the spiritual power that we possess because the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. So, you may have some resolutions or some goals for the coming year. Well, let me ask you something. Are you, or Do you think it's going to be more effective to try to accomplish those things in your own willpower or with the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead? Think about it. So, he talks about the knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. All right, second, what does it mean to know Christ in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death? That sounds really countercultural, uh, doesn't it? He says in verse 10, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Death. So, in order for Christ to be raised from the dead, what had to happen first? He had to die, right? Death preceded, his suffering and death preceded his resurrection. And what Paul is is saying here is that there's a sense in which we are not going to know Christ at the intimate level in which we could know him. Unless we are willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel and even die for the gospel if it comes to that. Now, a verse like this is going to hit a Christian in Syria different than how it hits us in America. Our lives are not immediately under threat for the sake of the gospel so the challenge in our american culture you know is to is to figure out you know even uh, how this could apply to us but it can even though our lives are not under threat it can't apply to us first of all to part of what paul is talking about here is giving and sacrificing more of yourself for the sake of others. Now, you don't have to be living in a, a, you know, a country where your life is being threatened for the gospel to do that. He, he's talking here about, instead of you know, trying to boost your own, your own life and just living life for yourself, giving yourself away giving of your your spiritual gifts and your time and your resources so that other people can know Christ or know Him better. And and in doing that, in sacrificing in that way, we come to experience actually more life and more knowledge of who Jesus is. Um, I love what, David Garland, who's a New Testament professor, says about this. Paul understands from Christ's example that one only finds life by pouring it out for others just as Christ poured out his life. I was so challenged this week by something that Dr. D.A. Carson says about this text. Dr. Carson says this, Paul understands that that the Master was a man of sorrows. And familiar with suffering. And he feels that following him in this way is part of knowing that master. For the privilege of knowing that master better, no suffering is too great. Is it not obvious how adoption of such a stance would change our witness and values? If we, like the first apostles, learned to rejoice under persecution because we had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, inevitably our own perspectives would change when we faced a whiff of opposition. We might say, thank God, he's finally entrusting me with a little bit of persecution. I want more of it if it means I may know Christ better. So what if you said, I'm going to stand taller for Christ this year? What if you said, I'm going to be more bold in speaking the gospel this year? What if you said, you know, in all those situations where I tend to wimp out and not say anything for Jesus, I'm going to begin to speak of Jesus. I'm not talking about an obnoxious, you know, Way or anything like that. We do it in love, but I'm talking about boldness. I'm talking about loving boldness. What about if you said, you know what, I'm going to start putting myself out there conversationally and speaking more of Jesus, speaking the good news of the gospel more? I'm going to I'm going to stand taller for him. I'm going, to, I'm going to stand unashamedly and boldly for him. So if you do that, if you begin to do that, what's going to happen? Well, I think your life is going to have more of an impact on other people, for sure. I think that you'll begin to experience a level of, of fellowship with Christ that you're not currently experiencing. And you're, probably also, you're also going to get some pushback you're going to encounter some opposition. You may encounter some rejection. Now, okay, persecution in America doesn't mean what persecution means in lots of places in the world. But there will still be opposition if you stand tall enough for the Lord. And if you're not getting any opposition and no persecution, then maybe you need to ask yourself, am I standing tall enough for Jesus? Because the Bible says, "They who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." Um, so there's a there's a level of intimacy with the Lord that we only get when we're we're willing to suffer and even die for Him if it were to come to that. Okay. Um, another question. What does it mean to attain the resurrection from the dead? He says in verse 11, That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, this is what Paul is ultimately looking forward to. The thing that he's ultimately looking forward to is the day when Christ was going to come again, and He was going to be raised Christ, uh, Paul is looking forward to the day when he and all believers are going to be raised with glorified resurrection bodies. Now this is what he's ultimately looking forward to. Um, you know, when I hear a lot of Christians talk in our in our culture today, our American church culture, you know, a lot of times they don't talk like this is ultimately what they're looking forward to. Uh, a lot of folks, you, you would think, the, the, uh, for a lot of Christians... The thing that they would say, if you ask them, "What are you ultimately looking forward to?" A lot of people would say, "Well, going to heaven." Well, going to heaven is wonderful. In fact, Paul talks about it in Philippians. In Philippians one twenty three, he says, "I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far." Okay, he's talking about heaven there. Yes, it's glorious. We're going to be with Christ. We're going to be with saved loved ones. And it's, it's going to be wonderful. But if you ask Paul what's the ultimate thing that he was looking forward to, he would not have said going to heaven. Paul would have said the ultimate thing that I'm looking forward to is being raised one day in a glorified body. See, when we go to heaven, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we're absent from the body, present with the Lord. But there's coming a day when Christ comes again and we're raised, we're not going to be absent from the body anymore. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to have resurrected, glorified bodies, free from uh, free from disease, free from decay, free from death, free from sin. And we're going to live with Christ in a new heaven and earth like we talked about in the last few weeks as we looked at those prophecies in Isaiah. Okay, God's going re- re- to renew this world, right? And we're going to live in that renewed world with, with new glorified bodies. Praise God. That's, that's the ultimate thing that we should look forward to. You say, well, how come, how come Christians in America don't hear more about that? How come they think that, you know, heaven's the ultimate thing and not and not resurrection? It's because as American Christians, a lot of times we're sloppy with the scripture. It comes down to that. It comes down to the fact that we, we don't, we people in our culture, professing Christians, especially in our country, a lot of times, they they just we have more access to the Bible than ever. And yet, So many people are biblically illiterate because they just aren't digging into God's Word enough. Now, so, ultimate thing he's looking forward to? Resurrection, right? But what does he mean when he says that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead? Paul, do you mean that this is something that you're trying to earn from God? No. We can't mean that. It would contradict everything else that Paul ever said. Because our eventual resurrection is part of our salvation. And salvation comes to us by what? By grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one may boast. Okay, so th- this is not something that Paul is trying to earn. or That's not what he means. When he says that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The last thing he means is that he, it's something that he's trying to earn or merit. Okay, It can't mean that. Salvation comes to us as a, the free gift of God. It's based on the work of Christ, not our work. Um, and so we need to be very clear about that. He's also not saying that he has any doubt about it. He's not saying, well, well, I'm not sure this is going to happen. I hope it's going to happen. It doesn't mean that either. Um, He doesn't know when it's going to happen. He doesn't know if he's going to be alive when Jesus returns or if he's going to be already passed away when Jesus returns. He doesn't know the when, but he's he's not in doubt about the what. So, So... so what, what is he saying here? When he says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Well, I, th- I think he means this. You know, when Paul talks about his his salvation, he always did it with a sense of, of humility. And he always did it in such a sense that, you know, to, to, to say that if I were to ever... And he didn't think he was going to do this, okay? But he, he would always. He, Paul would speak like this. He would say, you know, if I were to ever, like, just turn away from the Lord and start just living a life of self-indulgence and sin, um, I'm tired of this Christian life, I'm tired of all of the, you know, the, the persecution and the things that I'm experiencing, um, I'm just going to turn away from God and do my own thing. Okay, Paul would say, if, if I were to ever do that, then... I would not attain the resurrection from the dead because it would prove that I was never a Christian to begin with. So look at what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 9. Okay? He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So... I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So in other words, Paul says, yeah, if, if I were to turn away from God and say, God, I'm tired of you, I'm going to do my own thing, then what it would show is that I was never a Christian to begin with. It's not saying that we can lose our salvation. right? The Bible doesn't teach that. Paul's not saying that. But what Paul is saying, and what the Bible clearly teaches, is that if we are genuinely saved, then by God's grace we're going to persevere in our faith. Now, again, this is something that in sort of American churchy culture, um, I, I hear a lot of times something very different. You know, I'll, I'll hear people talk about somebody who hasn't darkened the door of a church in years. They give absolutely no evidence whatsoever of being a Christian. There's no visible fruit in their life that they know the Lord. And I'll hear, I'll hear Christians say, well, yeah, but I remember when they prayed the sinner's prayer back in vacation Bible school when they were eight years old, you know? Or I, I remember, well, yeah, but they, but they made a profession. They, they walked down the aisle, you know, they were, they were baptized years ago, so I, I know they're saved. No, you don't. No, there's, there's every reason to question whether or not such a person is saved. If there is no fruit in their life, the Bible tells us that when we're truly born again, in fact, there will be fruit. We're not perfect. We haven't arrived yet. We still sin. But there is fruit. Right? When you look at the, the, the long haul of a person's life, there's, if they're genuinely saved, there's going to be growth in the Lord. And they're going to persevere in their faith. Look, I mean, Jesus says in Matthew twenty four thirteen, the one who endures to the end will be saved. You say, again, well, why don't, why don't we hear more of this? Well, I, well because, because, again, people in... And a lot of times our our culture, they're, they, they're sloppy with the scripture. Right? The Bible is super clear, super clear on all of these things. And and so that's what Paul Paul is saying here, you know, that if if I were to ever if I were to turn away from God, um, then what it would indicate is that I never knew him to begin with. Right? And we need to understand that because there's a lot of people, a lot of people in American culture that have made professions of faith and they have a false sense of assurance. Because once upon a time they prayed a prayer or they walked an aisle or they were baptized. Friends, that is not biblical assurance. And we are not saved by making a profession of faith. We are saved by the possession of faith, which will be seen in our lives. So we need to be very careful, and even careful about the way we talk about these things. Don't come back from a mission trip and say 50 people were saved. No. 50 people made a profession of faith. Praise God. Whether or not they were genuinely saved, how many were genuinely saved, that's going to be seen over the long haul. Not because somebody raised their hand or prayed a prayer. Right? We need to be very clear about this because the Bible is very clear. Okay. Another thing. Pressing forward, not looking back. Pressing forward, not looking back. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love the way that this reads in Greek. There's a sense of capturing. It's like Paul, literally, Paul is saying, I'm pressing forward to capture this because Christ has captured me. And see, this gives us our motivation in the Christian life. This is our motiva- motivation for obedience is grace. Grace. We're not trying to earn anything from God anymore. We've already been given everything, right? Salvation is a gift. It's it's done, right? We have already been captured by God's grace. We belong to Him. He has adopted us as His beloved sons and daughters. He accepts us now, not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of the perfect performance of Jesus on our behalf. Yes, that's the gospel. So... Our motivation now for obeying the Lord is all grace. It's all gratitude. Right? We have we, we know that we're standing in God's grace in the Gospel. And so now, because He has loved us so much, we love Him. We love Him. And we want to glorify Him and honor Him through our trust and our obedience. Okay, so... That's our, that's our motivation for pressing forward. Super clear. Um, super important that we get that straight. Right? We're not pressing forward to, to, to earn anything. You know, we've been given everything. Okay, we're pressing forward out of gratitude. Because of what God has given us in the, in, in the gospel. So... He continues to talk about pressing forward, verses 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the image that he's using here comes from sports, and specifically from track and field, and specifically from running from a, a, a race, a foot race, which Paul was very familiar with. Where did the Olympics start? Where they, and the Isthmian Games, which were held in Corinth. Okay, that's, that's all, they were all part of the, the, uh, the Greco-Roman world. Paul is very... In fact, he's, he, he, Paul has, uh, has seen these games himself. So he, and, he, and he's seen races. He's seen, he's seen people racing one another. And he knows that in order to win the race... You can't look back. You can't be turning around and looking behind you. If you're going to win a race at a highly competitive level, where just a split second makes a difference, you can't look back. You've got to focus forward. You've got to focus on the prize. So, he says, forgetting what lies behind. Now, maybe you've got some regrets about some stuff in 2015. Maybe you've got some regrets, period, that go before 2015. And your tendency is to keep looking back and dwelling on the past and maybe condemning yourself for what's happened in the past. Friend, listen to me. Part of Christian maturity is understanding that your past and and the sins of your past are under the blood of Christ. Right? It's taken care of. Um, and if you don't understand that If you're, if you're constantly looking back You're, you're not going to be able to move forward yeah, A couple of weeks ago In the, um, the Redskin game There was a, an example of this um, Maybe some of you saw it But the Redskins were playing the Eagles And, and at the end of the first half the Redskins quarterback, Kirk Cousins, there's like six seconds left or something, but they were, they were right there uh, at the goal line, and they could either kick a field goal or maybe even score a touchdown. And Kirk Cousins, instead of spiking the ball to stop the clock, inexplicably, he, he kneels down, and the clock just runs out. You know, and I mean, now that's the kind of thing where you would think, you could, if you did something that, humiliating on national TV in front of 80,000 people or however many people were at the game. It's the kind of thing that could just... It's the kind of mistake that could just send you mentally into... Just just cause you to tank. But you know what? He he put it behind and came back, played a great second half because he wasn't looking back. He wasn't thinking about what had happened. Um, Now... If that's important to do in something like sports, okay. I mean, how much more important is it to do in in much greater aspects of our lives? I mean, this is huge. It's huge. You, You 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 must focus on on the prize. You you cannot you cannot be held back. By looking back, if, if anybody could have done that, it would have been the Apostle Paul look at paul 's past before he became a Christian. He had Christians killed, he had Christians thrown in, in, in jail. but you know what? he knew that was under the blood of Christ. he knew it was forgiven, he knew Jesus had given him a new life, and you know he was going to learn from what had happened in the past, but he wasn 't looking back. He was he was focused forward, and we must be a, as well now. Uh, something else that he says here in verse 14. He says, I, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What does he mean by that? The upward call of God. Well, again, the image is drawn from the games because in the first century, in the Isthmian games or the Olympic games, um, the winner would be called up by the judge. The judge would, would call out the name of the winner and they would step up on the platform to receive the prize, which was usually like a laurel wreath, which was referred to as a crown. Paul says, this is the moment when I'm looking forward to. He says, I'm looking forward to the moment when I can, I can hear that call of my Savior calling me up And giving me the reward. And that's exactly the image that we see in 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would help us to, to, to live with that end in mind. To, to live for that ultimate moment when we can hear our Savior say, Well done. And when we receive a, a crown that we can then take and put at the feet of our Savior. As we think about the opportunities that lie in store for us this year. We pray that by Your Spirit that You would do things in our lives. Take us places in our lives where we have never been before in our knowledge of You, in our walk with You. Lord, we want to know You. We want to know You more than anything. We want to know You in the power of Your resurrection. Lord, help us to understand that that we are new creatures in Christ that the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We want to know you in the power of sharing in your sufferings. We pray that we would be willing to endure and even embrace any persecution that comes to us for the sake of the gospel. Help us to stand tall for you. Help us to be bold for you. Even though everybody's not going to like that. Because we know that there's just a, a part of being able to help others that can only come when we are bold. And there's a part of knowing you that can only come when when we share in the fellowship of your sufferings. And even as we think about the, the small suffering that we endure for the sake of the gospel in our country... Lord, we pray for the persecuted church. We pray for brothers and sisters in Christ and parts of the world uh, where their lives are under threat every day. And and may their example, their steadfastness in the face of that make us more bold. We pray, Father, that you would help us to, to, to focus forward. Help us not to dwell on the past. Help us not to, to dwell on past sins, past mistakes that, that we have that we have made. Uh, we know that because of what Christ, the work of Christ, that that is under His blood, and that Jesus is risen, and that, and that through faith in Him, we have been given new lives. And so, Lord, help us to accept your forgiveness and to focus forward to the opportunity uh, to know you better serve you more this year. pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today God God's speaking to you about a relationship with Him, it would be such a joy to be able to, to talk with you and to pray with you. Um, I'll be here and other pastors are, will, will be here um, at the front or after the service. Uh, if you're here today and God's speaking to you about Uh, saying, you know, I want to be a part of this church family. We would love to pray with you and talk with you about that as well. Our altar is open for you uh, to come and pray. God's uh, working in your heart and that way. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and... My email is pastor at Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.